If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Hello, hello, hello. Welcome once again to everyone's favorite podcast, The Heretic Happy Hour. I am your host, one of several. Uh, my name is Keith Giles. I am um, I am the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. I blog at keithgiles.com and many other things. And uh, I'm also joined here by my good friends, Jamal and Matt. And hey, guys, let them know you're here and say hi. Hi, friends. This is Jamal Javanji. I am the author of Free to Love with Choir. It is a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour. And I'm Matt DeStefano. I am the author of the new book, Heretic, out on Choir Publishing. Thank you for that. I saw that coming a mile away, dude. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited about this show. I, I like the topic that we're going to talk about because I'm a hippie, so I love talking about God's good green earth. But uh, before we get into all that, we got to get a word from our sponsor which is, as always, the Unfundamentalist Group blog, who are a, a blog focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they are dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com forward slash unfundamentalists or read their blog at unfundamentalist, unfundamentalists.com. Jamal, as always, you got something to follow that up with, right? I do, I do. Um, I have an announcement, guys. Is it would it be okay um, if I make an announcement? As always, of course, please. Yeah, okay. do it. I, can I? Can I just? I feel like I I have a word of knowledge right now. Can I just share? Uh, I have. I feel like I have an insight into your thought process right now. <laughs> Not only your thought process, but also the thought process of the listeners who are listening right now. <clears throat> I feel like I understand. I think I feel like they're like going. You know, there's maybe some deep sign in their spirit, and they're probably saying, "Oh gosh, here we go again with this announcement." Like this is like a dead horse getting beat. But <clears throat> you're wrong because. Because I actually have an announcement, and this is truly breaking news. Like this has never, ever, ever, ever been discussed on the Heretic Happy Hour ever before. And the yeah, yeah. Seriously, the announcement is this, <laughs> guys. Did you know that we actually have a Patreon page? Woohoo! Did you know that? Oh. Seriously, right. yeah, and Patreon for the folks who may not be familiar with Patreon. Patreon is a, a it's a brilliant uh, site that was created to help folks who are in the you know creative industry like get funding because it can be very difficult for folks who create podcasts or so, you, know, you know musicians and and folks like that to to get funding. And so <clears throat> we decided that um, it felt like the right time to launch a Patreon page because um, you know it does it you know this this. Endeavor does take a lot of time and, and, and effort and work, and um, in, in order for us to just be able to live and continue doing what we're doing, and you know, providing uh, this podcast and um, and also the work that we do, we, we felt it would be um, a real a real uh, blessing to give the um, listeners an opportunity to give back. So we created this Patreon page, um, and I would encourage folks just check it out. You can go to um, Patreon.com. So that's P A T. 
R-E-O-N.com forward slash heretic happy hour. And that's our page. Um, would love for you guys to check it out. We, we, we would, we are asking for support and asking for your help, uh, to help, uh, bring us, um, some funding in. And we actually, uh, have some, uh, folks who joined our team right off the bat and we're so blown away with that. So, uh, I want to give a shout out. Yeah, even before we announced yeah. it, we hadn't even announced it. Boom. These three people were like waiting. Couldn't wait. I know. Blown, blown away with that. Actually, very, very encouraged by that. So I wanted to say thank you very much uh, to our some of our first supporters on Patreon, which is uh, Ron Smith, uh, Darren Pinkerton, and Kai Witten, uh, Witt Penning, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Kai Witt Penning. But anyway, thank you guys for, um, for your yes. generosity, for joining joining our team. It's truly appreciated. And uh, we're excited about getting uh, just some of the listeners involved. Like if this is, if this podcast has been like an encouragement to you on your journey, it's been a blessing to you. I just, I firmly believe it's just, there's a principle of like flow and giving back to what, I mean, it's, it's how everything, if, if we all like get into this um, kind of the stream of flow of giving back and just re- giving and receiving, it can really, really make this, um, it can make all these kinds of endeavors possible, you know, because again, we don't have big, big name funders, you know, we don't have a lot of advertising that comes in that, that pays the bills. So a lot of this money is coming out of our own pocket and in, in, in our time and that kind of thing. So if, um, if you guys would be generous and, and uh, give back to the podcast if you feel so compelled. And I mean, no guilt either way, but like we just <laughs> would really appreciate that. So wanted to so announce that. What, what do they get? What do they get? If they sign up and support us, what do they win? Tell them what they won, Bob. Don't they get something well, if, they, if they sign up? Yes. Uh, first of all, you get, um, well, if you, okay, there's there's three tiers. So like the first tier, if... If you sign up for the first tier, we will absolve you of your sins. Yes. Um, if you, yeah, for the first tier, the, the five dollars tier, yeah, totally. it's only I mean, five yeah, bucks, right? Seriously, five bucks. guys. I mean, if you five can bucks get, a month, your sins. Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to be burned. So, like, listen, this is this will help. That is a bargain. Out of that, the second tier, which is twenty dollars a month, will actually not only absolve your sins, but absolve the sins of your whole family, and that's only twenty. <laughs> That that if we consider inflation, we are charging way better price than the church has done. Oh my gosh! Yes, and that's absolutely the history. Yeah, totally, totally, and and that we call that bargain. The first tier was called indulgences. The second tier, we're calling that focus on the family. So, look, if you love your family, you'll get twenty dollars a month, and we will. You know, that's just that's that's the cost of love. And then the third tier, uh, we call the funeral pyre, and basically that is like, look, if you give a hundred dollars a month, which you know, which no one, no one's going to (laughs) do. No one's going to do that. But. <laughs> but if you do, like, we will actually feature you on the podcast as the heretic of the week. And um, again, that's obviously this yeah. ton- tongue in cheek, but we do appreciate your contribution and support of the podcast. That is that is true. We're not joking about that. Um, but we do feel like it. Look, if, if this is something um, that you feel compelled to do, uh, we do want to like, we're going to have extra, you know, content. So, there's a lot of we we only have so much time to devote on these on these podcasts to for content. So a lot of times after the podcast is over, we we, we keep talking and we we get into things we you know get into a lot of different topics and we just feel feel like it would be good for us um, for to offer to our Patreon supporters extra content, extra conversation. Um, our interviews we have some really stellar interviews. We've we've lined up some. I'm telling you some of the best interviews I've ever heard. And again, there's only so much time that we can play those on the podcast. So we're going to be offering extra uh, content from those interviews to our Patreon supporters as well. And when we hit our first goal of $400 a month, 
which is really not that much. Yep. Um, we're going to be unveiling something special and transcendent and monumental and historic yeah. for our <clears throat> for our listeners, which really, we will unveil at a, at a later date. Yeah, it's really amazing. In fact, um, it's so cool. We haven't even dreamed it up yet. So I, we have we have a little bit of time to figure out what the heck it's going to be. But it's going to rock. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and like you said, it's totally. not it's not it's not unheard of to hit that amount because, like we were saying, we have about eight hundred or so people. It's like eight hundred people in the Facebook group, right? And if so, if all of them gave a dollar, we would be we'd be there, right? We would we could do it. Mm-hmm. If half of them gave a dollar, you know, so yeah. it's it's very very doable, very very possible. Now and then, sure. and like, like you said, we have some amazing interviews. We're going to try and uh, either give some teasers or put up some bonus content. Um, like we just did an interview with Bishop Pearson, which was amazing. We just did an interview with Thomas J. Ord, which was amazing. Um, you know, and we were sitting on gold. Uh, mm-hmm. We have so many great interviews. We we can't even keep up with you know putting them out in a timely fashion. So, if nothing else, we want to give you guys like maybe a ten minute sneak peek of an upcoming interview that we haven't released yet. But to for the supporters, if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get to hear you know some of that stuff. Yeah, and we're even we're even kicking around you know. Writing, writing things just for Patreon supporters, yeah. uh, little essays or, or what have you, even little videos that we record. Um, we've even kicked around the idea of doing like a Google Hangout. So all the ideas are flowing and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what we can come up with uh, for those who have the means to give, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So guys, you know, yeah. with all, with, you know, obviously we're, we're being funny about some of the <laughs> the titles of the tiers, but in all seriousness, it does really help your, your contributions really do help keep this going and help us um, uh, be able to devote time and energy to having these kind of conversations. Cause we really believe that this is important. You know, I think the response that we've yeah. been getting from listeners um, has really blown us away of how just the impact it's had in such a, sh- and we've only, this is our 20th episode. So we haven't been doing that this long. Right, but it has really touched a nerve and has been speaking um, to a lot of folks. So uh, we just want to keep it going, and we want to actually um, continue getting getting um, interviews that are high quality. And obviously, that takes time and energy and money. And and so, really appreciate. So again, thank you so much to Ron, Darren, and Kai for your, you know jumping on board so quickly. And uh, the, the the doors are open for the rest of the listeners to jump on board as well. Yeah, and and I'll say Jen Pinkerton also. I think it's Den- Darren's spouse. I'm friends with her on Facebook, so. Uh, Jen Pinkerton as well. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Jamal, don't you don't you also announce something There's about once every two weeks on this? Well, show? yeah, yeah. Always I, got this announcement. I think I think I'm, I'm I think I have mentioned this before. Um, you know, I think we did mention this in the original, like at the the introductory uh, episode that we we mentioned. We talked about getting a hotline, mm-hmm. and right. so <clears throat> we we did get that. And oh, I know yeah. We got a lot of questions. A lot of questions about that, like, "Hey, do you guys have a hotline? How do I get? What's the number? How do I get a hold of you guys?" So again, this is for you guys. Two four zero three four three seven three seven nine is the number to the Heretic Happy Hour hotline. And so again, two four zero three four three seven three seven nine or two four zero three Heresy for the Rotary people. And so, um, Guys, you can send texts in. You can call. We did get a text this week, and we want to queue it uh, up. Read this text. Yep, let's queue up. Can we? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, and I in this and so it's queued up. It's just got faxed in. Let me just read it here. It says, "Quote: Hey, it's Jeff, your friendly neighborhood queer Christian. Ha ha. I love your show. You guys always have thought provoking topics." 
I have friends over to listen and the group gets bigger every week. Man, that's wow. freaking cool. That's wow. really awesome, by the way. Yep. Once again, you guys are killing me with a surprise. We have a hotline. <laughs> and Matthew DiStefano, you are our heretic of the week and our man crush of the month. Oh, wow. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love you guys. Oh, that's great. Oh, great. I, I'm the man crush of the month. I appreciate that. I don't know what I did to deserve that, but thank you. <laughs> well, you're, you're beautiful. You're a beautiful man. Well, you. My, you are. My wife thinks so. Yeah. It's cool. Anyway. Like a sexy man. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for your text. We're really, really um, just, just, all, just, it's very encouraging to know that you actually invite people over and you guys listen to it together. That's really cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's super awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. So thank you for like, you know, for sending your text in and for um, just being an encouragement to us. We really appreciate it. I'm so glad that you're encouraged by the conversations we're having. So there it is. There's our text, guys. All right. Awesome. And hey, I think it's time now for our. Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Mike Morell, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Hi Mike. Mike, it's, uh, this is Jamal here. It's really good to, uh, to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for, for coming on. I've actually um, followed your work from afar, and uh, I'm so thankful that uh, we can have this conversation with you. Yeah, likewise, Jamal. I feel like we've you know, had a, an online kind of friendship for years, but this is the first time uh, interacting live with your voice. So what a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, obviously, this is the, the heretic happy hour, but um, why, my first question would be, why, why are you considered a heretic, or why would some people... Uh, consider you to be a propagator of heresy. Mm. I certainly have been called a heretic before in different contexts. And I think in my case, what it mostly comes down to is that I tend to think that certain elements and people belong together and certain gatekeepers don't think those elements and people belong together. So they get highly upset. So, you know, whether that's like, Pentecostals and Presbyterians, or loving the Bible and not being a jerk. There's just these uh, combinations that, that through my life, um, folks have thought that I was too inclusive, that I was trying to pull together too many threads or too many people, and that felt threatening. Um, can you uh, perhaps maybe expand on some, some of those specifics that um, maybe throughout your life you've... Um, s- certain situations that you've come across or, or particular hot button topics for people. Um, you have your book that you wrote with uh, Richard Rohr. Um, and I think I remember some, some pretty harsh, probably unfair <laughs> critique of that book. So was there specific things in there that people were um, pretty contentious about? Yeah, you know, the Divine Dance was interesting to me. I, I think, you know, the reason why heresy, if we're going to use that word, is so compelling is because it really requires um, a lot of faith to be a heretic. You really have to trust that something is true that's different than your surroundings and swim upstream in a lot of ways. And, Hmm. you know, Richard and I wrote The Divine Dance because we felt like the plausibility structures of the two great gods of American civil religion were no longer making sense to people. And, I named these gods. Richard did not quite use the latter term because it's way too silly, but the Zeusian <laughs> God and the Susian God with an S. 
that on the one hand, you know, on American civil religion, we have this Zeusian God, this God from on high, hurling down thunderbolts, austere, you know, has way more in common with Norse mythology than the God revealed in Jesus. And then on the other hand, we have this Seussian God, this cat in the hat deity that is like a wish fulfillment genie that was developed in the past hundred or so years in the U.S. And like neither of those make any sense to us. And we thought, you know, there's something about the relational, vulnerable, you know, all given God revealed in this weird, obscure idea that Christians keep in our, our luggage for some reason, the Trinity. And it's really profound and it, and it gives us a different lens on the nature of the self-giving, perichoretic, canonic God. And so we wrote this book and we're pretty steeped in tradition and scripture and, uh, you know, great poets and sages and mystics through the ages. We thought that it would be received well. And by and large, it has been received well, very well. Right. A lot of people right. you know, have, have loved it and given us great feedback. But there were a couple of folks, uh, particularly, well, the ones that stand out to me at least, um, are Hearts and Minds Bookstore, uh, which is an independent Christian bookstore that I really respect. They gave us a very harsh review, said that we, you know, our book bore little resemblance to, you know, authentic, biblical, orthodox, Trinitarian theology. And then, of course, you know, the Gospel Coalition, which I expected that. Uh, I was right, actually yeah. <laughs> like, oh, finally, their Gospel Coalition, you know, review came out. I was uh, waiting for that one. But yeah, I felt like both of those reviews really missed the point in that they were, they both seemed upset in different ways that we focused more on the space between the members of the Trinity, the relational dynamics of these members, rather than giving like a really pat treatise on, here are the properties of the Father, here are the properties of the Son, here's what the Holy Spirit does in the tango. Like that wasn't our focus. We were really looking at this idea of, you know, the, the, the dance, the perichoretic dance of Father, Son, and Spirit that weaves through all of creation, this God in whom we live and move and have our being. We feel like, you know, plenty of other books have done a good job or a bad job, depending on your perspective of trying right. to delineate who does what in the, uh, the divine household, who, who cooks and cleans and does the dishes. But, um, you know, we were far more interested in the relational dynamic and how if we were created in that same image and if reality is crafted in that same image, how does that impact our lives like in the here and now? And uh, yeah, some folks just weren't interested in that. It was much easier to play the heresy card. Right. Um, so if you're if you're like us, probably uh, you probably haven't always necessarily believed these things, and so perhaps uh, in your journey you went through a bit of a deconstruction. So my question is, uh, if you did go through a deconstruction, and I'm, I'm certain we all do in some sense, mm -hmm. what was that like, and what were some of the struggles um, that you faced in that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that my deconstruction has been more gentle than many of my friends. I feel like many of my friends, they have like this one thing that they believed in so completely. And then that one thing becomes immediately shattered or that rug becomes pulled out from under them. And, uh, and it's devastating. I think for me, my faith has always been much more of a pastiche. It's been much more of a composted reality because I, when I was a kid, my parents had this, you know, quintessential born again experience in a Southern Baptist context. I also have this, you know, born again experience and uh, were there for several years. 
then they continue moving on in, in their walk of faith and have this uh, spirit-filled baptism of the spirit experience. They quit 20-year smoking habits, cold turkey after a night of praying at a kitchen table with a couple friends and speaking in tongues. And then, you know, I'm brought into that world for several years. And then for various reasons, ended up in a Presbyterian context for several years. And all of that happened before I was 18. And that had the cumulative effect on me of both appreciating what each of these traditions had to offer, but also holding them kind of loosely, recognizing that there were people in each of these contexts who really drank the Kool-Aid and thinking that their system, their emphasis, their movement was the end-all, be-all that made everything make sense. And for me, it was like, oh, that thing that you think or believe or practice or do is, is really cool. I agree. But man, it's so ugly when you hold that as this bludgeoning rod against your siblings in other streams and other traditions. So I think I took that with me after, and then wandered into the, uh, the house church world for a good solid decade. And there, there I deconstructed a lot of things. I deconstructed the you know, necessity of ordained paid clergy, the necessity of monologue-driven church gatherings, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. And that was, a, that was a valuable time for me. But unlike many of my friends in, in the so-called radical wing of the house church movement during that decade, I never left my ties with folks in other streams. I never stopped reading outside books uh, and engaging with other folks. And, and that even got me into hot water in, in the house church world. So <laughs> it was always a more gentle stream. And then, you know, for me, 9-11 happened. Uh, well, actually, that happened for the entire country, as right. I recall. But right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how 9-11 impacted me was it really deconstructed my, until then, unconscious embrace of nationalism as like being part and parcel with Christian identity. When I began to see the like sabers rattling and the people, um, you know, these Christian sisters and brothers going, you know, crying out for war and retaliation in a war that didn't even make sense, like logically from a just war perspective or even an accurate retaliatory perspective. I thought, what's going on here? And and I connected with... um, There was this group back in the day, they had a website called kingdomnow.org, and it was a group of renegade vineyard pastors who started reading Anabaptist theology and engaging with Christian anarchism, and they wrote this thing called the 95 Theses on the Nationalist Idolatry of the United States. And uh, it really just made sense that, wow, we have this like bigger allegiance to a Lord who demands allegiance and says that People from every tribe, tongue, and nation are, uh, you know, comprising this this new family of faith. And, you know, the modest proposal that Christians around the world not kill each other uh, just, just made a lot of sense to me. And I think, you know, from there, kind of plunged into what some called the emerging church conversation, where you had post-evangelicals who were rethinking beliefs and post-mainliners and liberals who were rethinking practices. And those were like the two, the two shibboleths of each movement. You know, in the mainline world, you were free to rethink your theology up one side and down the other, but don't dare change the color of the carpet. And in the evangelical world, it was like, oh, yeah, man, we can have, uh, you know, day glow sticks or go meet in a bar or whatever, but we still have to put the four spiritual laws in there somewhere, right? And emerging church at its best was this thing where, like, everything was up for grabs. Everything was able to be deconstructed and reconstructed. 
But again, my, my process was always compost, meaning that even in the decay of what was no longer working for me or no longer working for entire denominations and streams and movements, that it could provide something rich uh, in the soil for new life to stir. So I, I guess I've had a, a more gentle and, and continuous uh, deconstruction process than many. Wow, that's that that's uh that is beautiful. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. And I had a question for you um, in regards to um, something you said about um, like you know you've been through a lot. You've you've kind of dabbled in each different stream, mm-hmm. so to speak. And when wow. you're there, you know you you pick up on the fact that each group thinks they they got they got the corner on the market, they got it all figured yep. out. Um, and then you kind of, you, know, you kind of see through that. Um, but I appreciate what you said, even specifically about, uh, when you left more of the institutional church world to mm-hmm. embrace more what's considered organic or house yeah. church, um, uh, that even then you, you continue to keep your mind open or read folks who may not be classified in those groups. I, I appreciate that. I think that's always a temptation. I know I have a very similar journey, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of, traditional religion and even getting into the organic or house church movement, but then realizing that um, that just becomes another thing and uh, you're kind of discouraged from, from, you know, from really embracing other movements or other, other forms of thought or other even authors who, you know, may, may deviate from, from those streams. How, here's my question. My question would be, because what I've, what I've realized is that even within those movements, people will, They'll say, you know, we don't discourage you. You know, we're not trying to, you know, build a, you know, a cult or some some corner on the market. But in practice, that's kind of what happens because they tolerate. So how do you how do you go from tolerating or just like nominal acceptance of other views to radical? Because I think this was this is a term that would sum up your a lot of your work is radical acceptance or radical inclusion how do you what's the difference between just nominally kind of tolerating other voices to radically accepting other voices does that make sense yeah yeah that, that totally makes sense you know i think early on when i was right in the middle of the house church world um some of the wisest voices in that movement said things like if jesus christ accepts you and if jesus christ accepts your sisters and brothers who are you to reject them it was a changing of the goalposts of truth being a set of you know codified beliefs that we can adhere to, to being focused on on the person of Jesus and the journey of walking with Jesus in in the way of of God, and so that moved it from um, perfection or even some minimum standard of competence <laughs> being the litmus test of uh, who I'd be willing to hang out with and who I'd be willing to learn from to being uh, more of, wow, we're all on this journey together. And as long as we have the same endpoint in mind, then, then that's, uh, that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that was like a really good lens for me to uh, be inclusive of and celebratory of other Christians. Like that was my, me and my, my Christian lens saying, okay, we can, we can do that. Um, I think that the next step was rethinking and deconstructing salvation and what is salvation, what is redemption, what is liberation, and coming to a place where, you know, I I believed and believe that, you know, God in Christ is reconciling the cosmos to God's self. And that being a, um, you know, something that says, wow, everyone on this planet, whether they realize it or not, are on this divine journey, on this spiritual journey. And, um, you know, therefore, I can I can accept everyone, 
and I would say maybe even a step beyond that where I am now, is recognizing that none of us, I, I believe, have a super coherent sense of self um, that can even be stable from one moment to the next. And so we, we often, uh, I think we assume too much about people to think that, oh, I am me from one moment to the next, when really there might be a me who has certain goals and aims in mind, and the next moment some a me that has other things in mind. And <laughs> like we're all so fragmented, and the, the spiritual journey or the human journey is one of, uh, of greater coherence. And as, as one esoteric teacher, uh, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff said, we're all idiots in a boat together. We're all on this journey. And so it's gotten to a point where I'm like, yeah, there's a lot that I don't know. And it just makes more sense to uh, accept truth wherever I find it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, this is Keith. I, I, I love what you're saying, man, um, and agree with so much of what you're talking about. Um, I, I, I had a thought as you were talking that... Um, you know, you you shared some of your deconstruction process, and it mirrors a little bit of mine as well as I'm sure Matt and Jamal, and we can relate to that. And I was thinking, you know, as you were saying that, uh, going through that process for us, that you know, maybe those who cry heretic the loudest, as we each go through our journeys, here we are asking all these questions, right? We're we're questioning, we're wrestling, uh, and those who are shouting heretic the loudest seem to be those who are staying put. You know what I mean? They're they're refusing to question. They're refusing to explore anything outside of their own little pool mm-hmm. of theology, um, and they don't want you to to do it either, right? It's like it's not only that they're not willing to do it, right? They don't want you to do it either. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely the case. I think that it stems from a, a certain fundamental insecurity that folks feel with their own belief system that they will want to you know silence others. It's like I remember in my, you know, hardcore evangelism days, or at least when I hung out with people who were into hardcore evangelism, it was almost like the more people we convince that this is true, the more that we can really believe it ourselves. In my experience, folks who are secure in their beliefs and relatively settled in their beliefs, Mm -hmm. hold them lightly at the same time. They're like, hey, what I believe is, I think is true, and no one else even has to believe this thing. And I think that was the piece uh, originally of coming to a place of, of believing that God uh, in Christ was more powerful than the effects of sin. Like, wow, if reconciliation is a reality that God is continuously outworking, no one even has to believe this. And now I can just enjoy another person's company. It takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, we're running down. we got a couple of minutes left here. Um, Mike, I just wanted to, would you let us know? I mean, what are you working on right now? Is there any projects you're working on or things that are coming up? uh you want people to know about sure absolutely um yeah i am working on a nonprofit startup with a good friend of mine actually called rewilder where we are looking at the intersection of spirituality biblical studies and anthropology and how it connects to our our presence on earth as human beings as a part of an interconnected ecosystem wow uh you know there's a idea that That's i got to cool. play with yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah just that not ambitious or anything. Yeah. Uh, there was an idea that I got to play with some in the divine dance, which is that our our existential um, issue that we seem to face as a species is that we feel this alienation, this fourfold connect- disconnection between God, ourselves, each other, and our world. 
And the reason why we have all these you know, wars and riots and tensions and angry Facebook flame wars and, uh, and climate change that seems like we don't even want to look at it isn't because we lack ingenuity. isn't because we lack uh, the means to really make a difference in these ways. But we lack a felt sense of connection uh, with the divine as we understand it, with our own bodies and with our, our community and certainly with our planet, that we're out of sync. And what's fascinating to me, and I'll make this short because I know we're wrapping up, is that I don't think that this was always the case for our human species. Just like a squirrel knows how to be a squirrel and a giraffe knows how to be a giraffe, humans, for a lot of our history as hunter-gatherers, knew how to be humans, knew how to live in right relationship with the earth. And I I personally believe that when we switched from being hunter-gatherers to being settled agrarians, that a switch went off inside of us that led to this fourfold alienation. Way more to get than we can get into right now. But I actually think that what Christians sometimes clumsily wrestle with and term the fall is actually this shift in the self-reflexive consciousness that gave us a lot of gifts, gave us all everything that we, we treasure in civilization. But it also gave us this profound sense of disconnection that all religion, all spirituality is attempting to overcome. And the challenge is that we can't solve a problem at the same level we've created it. We actually need to invite some of that higher consciousness, some of that grace into the process to really begin that, that fourfold reconnection. That's what's inspiring me. And uh, I'm working on a series of books and even a podcast and some retreats around that organizing idea. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. That is really cool. And yeah, that's uh, excellent. Where can, where can people uh, learn more about there? Is there a website or pe- can people connect with you on Facebook or, or elsewhere? People can connect to me on all the things, and the hub to do that would be my website, which is mikemorell.org. So two R's, two L's, dot org. Uh, that's where my writing is housed. If people want to, uh, you can get a bonus chapter of my book with Richard, and it's a bonus chapter that tells my own story of this really powerful experience I had with God as Trinity that changed my life. And uh, you can get that, and you can stay in touch with my writings that way. All right. That's perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you. All right. Peace and love. Yeah, thanks. Wow. Uh, Wow, that was awesome. Mike, thank you so much uh, for being on uh, the podcast. And also thank you for your patience because I know we we had that conversation uh, actually quite a while ago. And it's just, um, it's really awesome to hear it again. I also want to say, um, I hope that that your daughter or whoever it was uh, gets their music lessons that they need uh, very, very soon. Wow. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was, something. she was really going after that note. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That was so interesting. <laughs> ah, that was great. Anyway, no, but seriously, it was no, great. But ser- yeah. Love you, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Which actually, which actually what he was talking about, fits nicely with what we wanted to talk about today. I mean, all kidding aside, other than the, uh, other than that one note, but he had some good things to say, especially I love, I love talking about the creation and God's good green earth and, and it's just good stuff. And I, and I love hearing all that. I'm a hippie though. So, you know, I, I love the earth. I love to get my hands dirty in it. Um, so I, this topic of the creation mandate, you know, is, is the world ours to rape, rule, or revere? And, and I don't, I don't, we don't mean to put that in the title to be crass, but uh, Ann Coulter, the conservative commentator, had once said that uh, 
God said the earth is ours to rape it, take it, and do what you will, essentially. And is that uh, we, you know, we don't we don't want to offend anyone by putting that that word in the title, but there are some people who have that view of the earth, and man, I just I want to get into it because that's not my view of how how we're supposed to yeah. live as humans on this on this planet, you know? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to apologize to listeners who are sensitive and who are offended by that word and Coulter. Um, <laughs> so we apologize for saying Ann Coulter on the program. But, oh, um, my God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first time anyone but Jamal got mm. the trombone. Yeah, that's me. Wow. I think you're right. Amazing. I think you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this also kind of dovetails, too, into a, a podcast we did a while, uh, you know, a live podcast we did about the rapture and the end times, too, because, you know, if your view is that, like like Ann Coulter says, you know, the, the earth is the creation is ours to dominate, to rape and uh, and all that. And and if you feel like, well, we're, we're so close to the end. Jesus is coming back any day now. And then when he does, he's just going to burn the whole thing with fire and, and burn it up. Then then basically who gives a crap? Right. Like, why? Why clean my room? If, uh, you know, the house is going to burn down tomorrow. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I find that obviously, you know the conversation and culture is, you know, we're talking about the environment. We're talking about the effect that our actions have on the environment, which is we're the only species. I really believe, I mean, it's so amazing that we're the only species on the planet that actually can think about this, that can actually, you know, question, how are we, what are, how are we affecting the the cosmos? How are we affecting our planet? Like no other species can, can think about that, which I find to be really, so what a responsibility um, that human beings have to be able to be aware of the creation and our impact on it and our impact, not only on the creation, but how we affect other life forms on the planet. Like, you know, and I, I doubt that alligators are thinking about how they affect, you know, birds or like, you know, like I don't think dogs are out there, you know, wondering about how they're affecting other species. But I honestly believe humans are like, we're so unique in the fact that we're conscious beings. So the fact that we can think about it means I really think that that's, there's a purpose in that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, here's the other, here's the other thing about that, Jamal. That's a very good point. And here's another point about that too, is that alligators also don't have the power to destroy the earth the way mm. we do either. So, you know, alligators and elephants and gorillas aren't sitting around wondering, you know, what they can do to make the earth cleaner mm-hmm. or not to pollute the earth. But the point is, we're the only species that actually uh, is is responsible for destroying it and, and trashing it. And so it's actually a good thing that we are the ones who can think about this and consider it because we're actually the ones who mm-hmm. need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Joe Rogan has a bit that he's pretty convinced that dolphins think just like us, but they're just different. <laughs> but you're right. Like dolphins aren't going to go destroy, destroy. It's, it's ridiculous to think that because of dolphins, all of a sudden that the earth is going to fundamentally change in how, you know, it's in, in its climate and um, how often certain natural disasters happen. Um, I mean, that would be absurd to think dolphins are going to do that. Um, yeah. And there's not, there's, yeah, not it's, 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 mile, it's, there's not an 800 mile wide, uh, you know, plastic graveyard in the ocean. I was just going to mention that. <laughs> because of, because right. of the dolphins, you know. <laughs> right. Which Keith is mm. referencing the Pacific garbage patch, right? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, that thing is, it's, I heard it was the size of Texas. And then I heard that it was like larger than Texas at this point. I mean, that's. 
wow, I mean, that's unbelievable to me. And then you have people who will make fun of of others for not using plastic straws and stuff. And it's like, well, God, you know, at least I'm trying to not, I mean, you believe what you want about climate change and things like that. You can't sit here and think that a Texas sized garbage mm-hmm. patch is good for anything. I mean, right. my goodness. Well, and then you also have Fukushima. I mean, we have, you've got nuclear uh, waste being dumped. Uh, it has been now for a couple of years, right? Uh, into the ocean. And we don't even know what that's doing to to the 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 ecology the fish the you know mm-hmm. even and humans as well like it's it's having mm-hmm. an, a massive impact uh plus you know you have oil spills and all these kind of na- disasters the, the the pipeline disasters that we've had uh here in the states as well you know millions of gallons of of crude oil being dumped into the groundwater and stuff and so yeah i mean we have an we have an exponential ability to do some long-term damage. I mean, this is, we're talking really long-term damage. It's not going to go away. It's not just going to get better if we, if we mm-hmm. turn our, turn our back. Uh, this is going to be here when our mm-hmm. grandchildren are around. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always, I've always been fascinated with the connection between the material world and human consciousness. So for example, um, so for example, um, there's been a lot of studies. They've, they've, there's so many studies you could look into, but like folks, they've done studies with like green, like plants, you know, that are alive, that when they're in an environment, they've actually put plants in a room and they actually, the plants that were spoken to and like people who had like really good intentions, loving thoughts towards the plants and spoke to the plants demonstrate, I mean, like scientifically did so much better, survived, thrived. In, in as opposed to in, in 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 like environments where plants were like spoken harshly to, or there was you know a lot of anger um, or hostility, the plants tended to not do well and, and died. And so I would that always has been like striking to me, like that's really interesting the connection between the two. Um, there, they've also there was a scientist in Japan that did study on water as well and took uh, took water in different jars, like and label would label the jar a certain emotion like joy or love, um, and then took water from other jars and labeled them hate and anger and then like would put them in a room and literally focus their their consciousness that like so a person would feel like loving and thankful and joyful hearts they would have this emotion they would actually focus their consciousness on these jars of water and they would do the same thing for like anger and hate and you know all, all those kinds of things and they would focus their consciousness on those jars of water then they froze the water and like tested the water under you know under microscopic uh, under a microscope, and uh, the it was incredible the structural changes that happened to the water uh, that had uh, hate and violence and anger uh, directed towards it from a consciousness uh, was completely deformed. You could see the, the the structural makeup of the water was totally changed, and looked it looked disturbing even under a microscope. And then the the, the molecules of the frozen water that had you know, the, the peaceful, the loving, the joyful consciousness directed towards it was beautiful. It was complete. It was unbelievable. And so I'm thinking if that's happening at that small scale, what is happening at a larger scale? Is it, could it be true that when Jesus talked about like, and he made the statement about the rocks crying out, like if it wasn't these children crying out when he went to the temple on Palm Sunday, you know, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, you know, welcome is, you know, or blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. And like, you know, the Pharisees were livid and he was like, look, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. And then I think about in Romans, when it says, when Paul says um, that the creation itself is crying out or groaning for the revelation of the, of, of us, the children of God. And I just wonder, I, 
I think, I don't think the writers probably understood the scientific reasons for that, but I, I think with quantum, you know, obviously the, the, with our understanding of quantum science and the connection, the string theory, how everything's connected and affects each other. I, I really believe that we have such a connection over, over even natural events, natural disasters, those kinds of things. I think, um, um, there was a huge, co- I believe that there's a correlation between when the, and this might be out there for some people, but, um, you know, you obviously were familiar with this huge tsunami that happened in Southeast Asia, um, was I think in 2006 or whatever, seven, something like that. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died. It was, you know, off the, it was the, the worst tsunami that ever in recorded history. And it just killed so many people. And the epicenter of that, I believe I could be getting this wrong, but I think the epicenter of that was in believe in Nepal. Um, I, if I, I think it was Nepal or somewhere in that area. And basically there was a huge, you know, tied to their religious sacrifice. I mean, they had slaughtered, I think 250,000 animals. Um, and it was this, this, the sacrificial sacrifice that they killed these animals in the, in the, it, like there was blood that they just, they believed that if they stained this ground with all this blood of these animals, that it would somehow appease, or somehow some absolve their other sins or appease some God. I don't know the, the exact belief structure, but I find that very fascinating that that actually happened the day before the tsunami. And again, people will be like, are you connecting that? But I just think that there's the areas of the world in which there's a lot of fear and a lot of violence. You tend to see cataclysmic kind of things happen in the environment. And I wonder if there's a connection between human consciousness and actual um, the groaning of the planet, so to speak, because I believe we're connected. We're all connected. We affect it. I think, well, I, I'm not exactly sure about that story, but I think you're <laughs> absolutely right that we are, we are so connected to the creation, but we're, I just think we're not aware of it. I, th- I think it, it, there's, there's stories from like Native American tribes and, and such that they, they would be able to tell when these, these sort of events would happen because they were so connected to the creation. We've just we're in the West. We're so disconnected from the creation. Yeah. There's, you know, there's these products that they sell to people who work in New York City. It's these mats that you put under your computer, and they're made of like earthen material because you don't ever touch the earth. I mean, that how absurd of a reality for us to live in, where we have to f- manufacture earthen material because our world is such that we don't ever connect with the earth. We're so disconnected with the earth. We're just in this, you know, this term, this concrete jungle. And we think certain tribes were archaic and barbaric, but maybe in some ways, sure, I suppose. But in other ways, they're so more connected with the only planet that we know for for certain has life on it. I'm, I'm convinced that maybe other planets do, but... As far as we know for certain, like we are here on this planet, this is all there is. But to be so disconnected is really tragic. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think we we are very disconnected from the earth. And and yeah, for a lot of us living in we live in a metropolitan area, we may not ever even have an opportunity to go. I mean, this honestly, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but like um there's something that happens in my soul. Uh, anytime Wendy and I like go down to the beach, we just walk around on the beach and it's like, oh my gosh, I literally feels like I'm being cleansed. Uh, but just by connecting to the ocean and the sand and the sunshine and uh, the sound of the waves, it's like, 
And every time I do it, I think to myself, why don't I do this more often? It's so powerful and beautiful. And it's like, I think we as human beings, as spiritual, we are spiritual beings. Uh, hopefully we would all agree, everyone listening and, and the three of us could agree that we are spiritual beings. And part of being a spiritual being, yeah, I think we need a connection, not just a connection to God, but a connection to one another and and a connection to the creation. I mean, if we do believe in God, and if we do believe that there is a creator, and however he created it, whatever means he used, he is still the source, uh, the originator of all creation, including us, and everything and we see in the universe, all the way down to the to the microscopic and, uh, and the subatomic levels. Um, I, I think that we need to, to connect um, to, to, to God, to one another, to the creation. And I think this is a necessary part of our of our DNA. It's a, it's a part of who we are. Like we were made, I think for those kinds of connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's super, it's super interesting. I, um, I started seeing the connection. I mean, for me, seeing the connection between how we view like creation itself or our own, our own creation or, and how it affects the material world. It first began in, um, when I was obviously still very much steeped in evangelical Christianity, because I started noticing I honestly started noticing that the sickest people, physically sick, like constantly with, I'm talking dealing with flus and, and just like their immune systems were shot. I start, I, I actually noticed it. It was in the, the most conservative fundamental of churches I was a part of. These people were all sick all the time to the point I was like, man, is there something going on? How does people get sick this often? And I started just like, is this me? Um, And then I started realizing like, no, when people, how people view their their origins or how people view themselves at a very basic level it's like if you if you thought that uh your 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 inherent existence was um was a problem or you, you know you come from like it's there's a sickness then you would it, you begin to manifest that even in your, in your own physical body i mean again this is that could be a very sensitive thing i'm not trying to say anybody who deals with illness or whatever is you know there's this like connection there i'm not saying that i mean obviously people get sick you get worn down those things happen i i understand that but i, I at, a, at a basic root level i started seeing the connection like people who believe negative things about themselves tend to experience negative things in their body. And then I started thinking about that within relation to the world, to the creation, because so much of religion, Christianity, because that's where I'm you know, coming out of, uh, so much of Christianity sees things as sacred and secular, um, uh, holy and not holy, good and evil. And so when you start, when you look at the world in that right. lens, yeah. right, and yeah. you realize you're like, wait a minute. So if something exists, it, there's a disconnect. It's like, did did not everything that exists come from the source? And if the, if the answer is yes, if everything comes, like if there's this immaterial, invisible realm in which there's pure love and pure consciousness and pure pure knowledge, and then if that if that infinite realm, that infinite being from that realm, then imagined that it could give itself expression in the physical world, you would have a universe. So I think there's a failure to understand that, look, when you're at the beach, why why does getting in nature, why is that always good for people? It's good for your mental health, your spiritual health. Why is it good? Like you were saying, Keith, when you go to the beach, why is that good for you? When you take a walk in nature, in the woods, why does that make you feel peaceful? Because you're connecting at a root level, I believe, that you're connecting to an, a tangible expression of the divine. Like when you see a tree, 
you are looking at an expression of God. Like I know that will freak people out. I, if you look at a dog, you will see an ex- when you see a dog, you are looking at a tangible expression of the divine. I don't, I don't think you can look at anything in the universe and go, wait a minute, where did that come from? Well, it came from the imagination of the divine. So therefore, it must express something transcendent of the divine. And I don't think Christians, I think Christians are probably the last people on the earth to understand that, which is absolutely tragic. <laughs> it's not, you know, I think that's inherent in Paul's theology is like everything. Yeah comes from this source and is the expression of it. Right. And which I'm glad you said that at the end. Like It's so ironic. You, you want to get biblical for a second? I mean, look at the Genesis account, which is what Ann Coulter would uh, be doing when she says, take it, rape it, it's yours. She's interpreting Genesis 1. That is not what it means to be stewards of the earth. Every this, I mean, it's so absurd that we we approach this text and we argue for some literal twenty four hour period and completely miss the point. This is why this is why when we when we opt for complete literalism, we actually miss the truth of the meaning of the text. There's there there is a literal truth behind this text, but there's not to approach it what we would call literally in the postmodern world is absurd because. Look at look at how beautiful this poem is when we read it allegorically. Like there's these refrains where it, where the writer keeps saying, "And God saw that it was good," and then there's creation, and God saw that it was good, yeah. and then there's creation, and God saw that it was good. You know, I have this I have this this uh, uh, journal in my desk that's huge that are all my notes, and I just I noticed all the um, couplets that are in that poem. It's always these two by twos and there's, and then there's these refrains. And then when it gets to humanity, it's very good. So you can't, you can't sit here and, and approach the biblical text and say that somehow part of creation is good and part is bad and some needs to go away and some doesn't. Because if you just, if you just look at this text and you're like, wow, there's real beauty here, the connect, the creation is not an afterthought. It's a direct expression mm-hmm. of the divine and more so humanity because we can recognize that. And we're not to sit here and rape it. Fuck that. Seriously, that's bullshit. We're, we're supposed to be stewards of it. We're supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to clean it when it needs cleaning. We're supposed to uphold it. I mean, we're supposed to see God in the very flower of the tree or uh, of the bush or, or the very vegetable that we eat. And I know, I know that scares some people, but I think if we're going to take God seriously, we're going to take the Bible seriously. That's how we need to approach creation. Yeah. And I want to say this because I think this is a scary topic because again, it, it reminds me of the, when we start talking about uh universal reconciliation, we talk about, Oh, like, you know, that salvation, and, and again, that's a, that's, a, that's a trick word. We, could, we need to have a podcast about what the word salvation means. But, but again, apart from that, when we start talking about, all, you know, that all humans are redeemed or all humans are accepted by God, people will throw up, specifically in the Christian world, they'll say, well, that's universalism. And at one point, I think univer- the con- that's, that's a less scary word nowadays. But I mean, a few years ago, if someone gets called a, a universalist, I mean, you, you just shut the conversation down. You're like, oh, well, I don't want to be a universalist because that's heresy, you know? And then just nobody even, nobody even questions, like, what does that mean? But in this topic, the, when you start talking about seeing the divine in, in things like trees 
or like flowers or mountains or oceans, people say, well, that's pantheism. And then of course, as soon as that word gets thrown out there, then people like shut it down, just like universalism. They, well, we don't want to be that because that's heresy. But here's the thing. I mean, it just, okay, let's de demystify this word pantheism again, because there are some Eastern traditions that would worship the tree, worship a tree as God or worship the rock as God or whatever. I think, I think for me, the problematic idea of pantheism is when you single out a part of creation and you say, that's the idol. You make it an idol, then you bow to the idol, and then you make that the thing, that's God, like the, you know, the Jews did with the golden calf, that that's kind of like, okay, that's in a, in a sense a form of pantheism in which you're now worshiping this an, inanimate object. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about singling out some part of creation and saying that tree is God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that everything is the tangible expression of there is divine there is like that that was imagined in the mind of the divine and it gives the divine self-expression by having it here and this is why and we'll get into this uh when we get into our our interview with uh, richard Rohr um in our next episode that that when we talk about like like traditional christian thought was when the word became flesh it wasn't just talking about Jesus. We're talking about material creation itself, so that the divine, you know, immaterial word that then took on physical form. We're talking about the cosmos itself. We're not just talking about Jesus, even though Jesus is understood to be a part of that. So again, we'll get into that in that interview. But like, this is a part of that. This is like understanding the universe as being an expression of the divine. Right, and I think what you're talking about then is is panentheism. So God, God is like in all things. He's not necessarily, yeah, that tree is not literally God, but but it is an expression of the so-called the quote-unquote mind of God or the um, the creativity of God. So I think that's the term panentheism. I I myself find myself more in that camp of of yeah, seeing God in everything. Not that not that God is sure. everything necessarily. But that God, yeah, everything has its moves and has its being in God. Yeah, and and we, I know we've, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm probably guilty of this. We can probably add this to the, uh, the bingo drinking game or whatever. But, um, but I love, <laughs> I love that verse in Ephesians where Paul says that, uh, you know, we are in Christ, the one who fills everything in every way. Like to me, that begins to approach what you're talking about, Matt, and what you're saying, Jamal. I think that um, that God or that that Christ is. Uh, that he is in everything. Like he's, again, he's not the tree. He's not the rock, whatever. He's not the sky. Um, but in some mystical way that maybe we don't have complete words to express or even the capacity to fully grasp, um, like Paul says, we are, we are in Christ, the one who fills everything in every way, in everything. He fills everything. And he fills everything in every way. Which again, if you meditate on it, uh, it kind of starts to, at least for me, it kind of breaks my mind. It's like, wow, um, that maybe there is more to this than we think, you know. And and, and I know we're going to get into that much more when we get into the uh, the Cosmic Christ episode with Richard Rohr coming up. But uh, it's it's fascinating stuff, and it's interesting to think. And I think it hopefully it stretches um, the typical evangelical Christian mind uh, out of this tiny box that we have that uh, that God created this earth and he created all this stuff and he just said, okay, you know, you know, use it up, uh, have a great time, have, have a big party with it, burn it up. It doesn't matter because 
you know, I'm going to come back and, and I'm going to burn the whole thing down. Um, it's just such a, it's such a destructive thing. And then for me, what I, what I wonder is, um, how does this look to people who are non-believers, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in Jesus? Um, and then they see us, we're the ones who are supposedly saying, oh, no, no, we worship the God who created everything. But then we just trash it. Like, we don't care. Like, I think that's a very horrible, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't match. Like, what we're, what we're saying we believe doesn't match the way we're behaving. Not really acting as if we believe that our Abba, uh, that our God who loves us, created this universe and this beautiful planet and all these things on it. And gave it to us as a gift and said, uh, steward this, care for this. Um, I think it would, it would make much more sense if we did behave that way. Even if people don't believe uh, what we believe, at least they could see that we were consistent in what we say we believe. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, I have a, just a story comes to mind. And this may sound, again, this may sound a little, <clears throat> a little out there or a little bizarre to folks, but I... It totally, I, I, I noticed it. And I was traveling overseas. This is several years ago. I was spending some time. I spent a few months um, in this other part of the world. And I was um, really in this area. And I felt so like drawn to, I, I knew it was only going to be there a couple of months. And then I was leaving. But I felt so compelled to, I felt like I had this sense of like, I needed to like impart this love from God to this person who was like totally just shut down and completely dejected in life and, and just had really given up on life and had been wounded. And I just, I felt so strong and such, 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 so burdened um, for this particular person. And I remember like being able to connect with them over the course of a few months and just having like some time, like to connect. And again, there was a language barrier. So I wasn't able, always able to, you know, share everything that was on my heart, but, but what I could share in the limited language, you know, it was in French. And, but I remember like just being able to communicate essential, you know, elements of like what I felt like was on my heart to communicate. And I would remember every time I was able to communicate, and this was a part in this country specifically, there was, um, a lot of like, it was just totally like cloud cover and gloomy. And that was normal because of where we were in elevation wise. It was just kind of not really pleasant weather wise. I kid you not. Every time I connected with this person, and this may sound crazy, I would I look I literally look up and the sun would break through the clouds every time, and it wouldn't until like every time I would not like just in, in the normal days that I wasn't connecting, um, it was just cloudy and gloomy and and rainy and that kind of thing. But literally without fail, every single time, and I couldn't help but notice. It, and I thought to myself, am, like, am I affecting? Is is my interaction with this person? <laughs> And and the, and the fact that I'm able to really express my heart and communicate what I really feel like God had, you know, put in my heart to communicate is this like actually changing the weather? I I, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you what, it happened every single time, and I started it really started to open my eyes. Like I really think that we have an effect on the environment, and I'm just one person. I just think you're tripping on mushrooms. Yeah, man. man. Uh, at least you know. At least at least <laughs> at least you're self aware enough to know that it does sound crazy. So that's good. Of course it sounds crazy, but I honestly, I started looking into it where there would be like, uh, like in different, like when people would feel like there's a lot of love, there was spiritual awakening that happened in certain parts of the world, there would always be reports of climate change for the better. Agriculture, things would be, 
things of the earth would be affected. I've heard so many stories about this, but literally I didn't hear that before this. I just started noticing it and I was like, let me look into this. But I, like, I couldn't ignore it. Like literally the sun would come out. The sun would break through the clouds every time I was connecting with this person. I don't, I, I'm like, look, I don't think I'm crazy. I really don't think I'm crazy. But I just, I noticed it. And I'm like, man, I think there's something to this. Well, I don't know if I'd go so far as as you, Jamal. But I, what I will say is that I think we can have a connection to the earth to sort of foresee what the earth is telling us. And I know that sounds like some hippie bullshit. But I, I just think like, I, I, I honestly believe like we can be way more connected to the earth than we than we really realize. And and I'm not sure we can go so far as to change the weather because what if you're a pluviophile like I am and you like gloomy weather? Then if I looked up at the same time, would clouds come? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but what I what I will say is that we can do a lot better at actually connecting with the universe and with the Earth and with even the climate and what the Earth is is trying to communicate with us because I think that everything's connected and there's communication on so many different levels that, uh, that we can do a much better job, which I think raises the question for me, how do we do that? How do we get to a place where we are more connected, where we can, I mean, if, if we're, if we as Christians are to help bring about heaven as it is on earth, well, what would heaven look like? Well, there certainly wouldn't be so much pollution there certainly wouldn't be so many bombs being dropped. So how do we start to heal the earth we're living in? Because we must believe earth is good. The whole creation is good. So how do we how do we actually caretake for that? Because we're doing a goddamn bad job yeah, of it. I, well, I've heard the suggestion yeah. made by lots of people that what you see in the external world, pollution, you know, all the kinds of the violence that's going on in the environment, all this kind of it's just a physical, tangible expression of human consciousness. So yeah. I, I believe as human consciousness changes, then everything else flows with that because as goes human consciousness, goes the creation. I believe that. I think that's actually very, even if you want to use this term, which I don't like, is biblical because I don't think that, <laughs> but it is actually in there. It is, <laughs> it is actually in the Bible that we affect the creation. So like, yeah. I think that can happen on a micro level and also on a macro level. So what if our conscious, as our consciousness changes, what if the environment will flow with it? What about our day to day, though? What about our day to day? Yeah, how about love? Love will make the sun come out. Yeah, I think. Um, I think just for me, I think about how if we really embraced, you know, Jesus and His message of loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, overcoming evil with good, uh, you know, not returning um, hate for hate, but blessing and all that stuff. Uh, I think that's a practical thing we can do. Fr- frankly, just learning to love our neighbors, because I think if we actually put into practice the good news of the kingdom and and the things that Jesus called us to do. Well, then I think if we were successful in that, um, I mean, we, we'd have a lot less conflict. We have a lot less war. Um, and, and, you know, gosh, even just thinking about how, you know, when there are wars, uh, there's always things that follow in the wake of war. Um, you have, you have famine, you have disease, uh, you have, you know, like all these horrible things that kind of come out of it. It's not just, Oh yeah, people died because there was you know a, a battle here, or people died because there was a bomb that went off. Um, it actually ends up cr- creating all sorts of other things like famine and disease and, and other kinds of suffering that exponentially spread uh, even beyond the war zone. And so I think that's one practical thing. I think it sounds corny, 
But I think by by following what Jesus said and told us what he told us to do and to follow this rule of love, uh, if we that that's one very practical way, I think, that we could help reduce not only war, but famine and disease and all these kinds of things. I feel like for me, yeah. for me, like when I express the deepest kind of love in my heart for someone I'm in relationship with, like for example, let's say I kiss my girlfriend and it's yeah! like, I honestly believe like I'm affecting the earth. If it's coming from a place of pure love in my being, I think any of those kinds of things, you can like affect the earth by just I, I think it's what Jesus meant. He says, whenever you like give a cup of cold water in my name, which means nothing to most people, because it's like, what does that even mean? They just hand out in the street corner and give people. Co- I don't think it means that at all. It's like when you do something in the essence. So what is when he, Jesus says, when you do something in my name, we're talking about if you're connecting to the essence of what that name means, we're talking about the divine. And we're also talking about love. God is love. So whenever you are fueled by this deep sense of love, to do something like you could be, it's creative. Like, like the other day I was like, I need to pick up an apple for my girlfriend. So I went to the store, picked up an apple and cut it up and like gave it to her. And like, to me, it was like, that's my part. Like I felt so fulfilled. Like this is true. This is true ministry. Like in the deepest sense of the way it's like, this is coming from love and the action that flows from that doesn't matter what it is. It it really doesn't matter what it is. If it, if if it is birthed, from a vision from coming from within that's divine and you carry that out you're changing the atmosphere i believe it yeah i would i'd probably agree with you on, on all that jamal for me i just i mean in real practical ways i uh i try to grow as much of my own food as i can i invite friends to come join me in doing that i try to limit my trash <laughs> i try yeah. to uh i try to purchase things that i that i've researched and in, in, in terms of food products that aren't um detrimental to the yeah. to the environment and to and harmful to animals um and, and things like that i i we've got we've got metal straws instead of plastic straws and re- reusable bags and all that kind of stuff so just in a real practical way like yeah i i i'm a firm believer the gospel infuses all of creation and this is a part of the gospel in stewarding in my i i'm not going to i'm not going to go vacuum up the pacific garbage patch tomorrow I don't have a vacuum that big, I'm, and I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not a scientist, but I, I can I can try to contribute le- way less and less, and and try to encourage others to do the same, and actually be conscious that we are doing these irreversibly harmful things to the world that we know, you know. So that's yeah. just what I do. So I don't know. I think yeah. maybe that's probably a good time to wrap up. What do you guys think? I think so. I like how different this was. Uh, this was a good episode. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. We we can make the sun come out, guys. What if I like the rain? That's all. That's all. Oh, I like the rain. Damn it, Jamal. But we can make it rain too. All right. <laughs> all right. So tonight, tonight about midnight, let's all think that think the positive thoughts and see if we can make the sun come out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>